Welcome to the Artisan Situation Podcast. We are back after a brief hiatus. These last two months have been filled with new longer term projects for Artisan Situation, as well as a change from my own current job. During this whirlwind, I have been able to collect a range of interviews and podcasts. Here's the first on my road trip that took me from my hometown of Baltimore to Hudson Valley, New York, through Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and finally all my way to Chicago. For my first podcast recorded along my trip, I'm joined by Taylor Cocalis Suarez. She is a part of a brewery family. There's no better way to describe the feelings I received when I entered the Suarez family brewery. I know it is somewhat of a non-descriptive, considering that family is in the name of the brewery, but honestly, they did a great job naming the brewery after what they truly are. Upon entry, I was greeted by dogs, parents, little Enzo Suarez, and the brewery staff. They were not expecting me, but they were more than willing to open their arms to me and introduce me to their team. Taylor is a powerful, energetic figure that captures the energy around her and shares that with others in the form of enthusiasm. Her understanding and love of food was enhanced after her time studying for her master's in food culture and communications in Italy. She took that knowledge to Murray's Cheese in Brooklyn where she met a new young brewer named Dan Suarez. Today Taylor runs the business side of Suarez Family Brewery located in Livingston, New York. But she is also one of the founders of Good Food Jobs, a platform that provides job listings focused on genuine food related opportunities. Her journey as a food citizen can teach us a lot about ourselves, and her enthusiasm for understanding how people embrace food in their lives is inspiring. This is Taylor Cocalis Suarez of Good Food Jobs and Suarez Family Brewery. Seriously, thank you so much for letting me just drive in. My God, I was my uh, pleasure. It was so. I was just driving up here, and it just worked out that. You know, I was just like, oh, I might as well just stop by, and they're probably there. I'm so glad you did. We don't really go anywhere, so. Yeah. So unless we're, like, at an event or delivering kegs, then we're pretty much always here. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I think I have it all set up now. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for the beers and the tour so far. <laughs> Do you want to uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Tell I'm, me what you're up to these days. Of course. So I'm Taylor Kokalis. I uh, am co-founder of Good Food Jobs. Um, but this past year, I birthed two other babies, uh, the first of which was Suarez Family Brewery, which I opened with my husband, Dan Suarez. And then the second was Enzo, who's here with me today. So he's about five and a half months old and he's been along for the adventure, yeah. for sure. Now he's in, now he's chilling. Yeah. He was a little excited, yes, earlier today. <laughs> so. But um, yeah, and um, clearly you're, you're on an adventure in food now. Um, yeah. And that's what I've been documenting now is the adventure in food and you seem like the perfect person to talk to because I feel like you are now helping engineer a lot of other people who want to get into food, kind of engineering their journey as well, trying to getting them involved. What was something that, you know, what is your background? What kind of got you to start food jobs in the first place? Um, so, yeah, it's kind of been this weird cycle back and forth or in a circle. Um, so. 
I was always really interested in food. Basically, when I was in high school, it was my form of stress relief. So I'd come home, I'd bake things, I'd bring them back to school in a basket and hand them out to people. And I started- Where did you go to school? In New Jersey. In New Jersey. Yeah, I grew up on the Jersey Shore. And you know, uh, I don't know, it's just this, this, thing that just kind of started to grow and flourish because um, I started to realize that, you know, when I was making things from scratch and giving them to people, you had sort of interactions from person to person, which was so nice. The act of giving, which was so nice. Um, And also I just started realizing that a lot of people didn't really understand where the food was coming from at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, you made brownies. Where do they come from? They don't come from a box or like... <laughs> yeah, what is in that yeah, brownie? What, what do is you know? in it? Yeah, or, <laughs> or, you know, oh, you like honey. Honey comes from a bee. I just thought it came from a jar. And, you know, these are things that really seem, I don't know. Once you think about them, they seem quite obvious, but, you know. They're not always obvious to people. Yeah, or sometimes um, people just kind of disregard it. Like they, they just go about their day as if food's just, it's not, a, you know, a relationship. It's more of a thing that it, I have to do. Exactly. And I can't fault people for that. Um, you know, for example, uh, maybe this is too much information, but, you know, this brewery, we're on a septic system. So over the course of the last two years, as we've been building this place I've gotten to know a lot more about septic systems and you know the toilet was overflowing yesterday and you start to understand exactly how that's happening and most people you know just use the bathroom every day they don't think about how it works they don't think about where everything goes um, until you know you're you're forced to do that Um, so you know people not knowing about their food it's not something that I can really fault them for I know everyone eats a few times a day but you also wear clothes and you enter buildings and you know there's various things in the world that you can know about and mm-hmm. no one's going to be an expert in all of them but food just really interested me and it was just the outlet you know that I had and the lens through which I viewed everything else and mm-hmm. used it as a means for connecting with people um, but I always knew that I didn't necessarily want to make food for a living I was just I wanted more connected to that relationship that people were having with it. Yeah, and sort of understanding the culture behind the way we interact with food. Um, and at the time, you know, I graduated high school in 2001, and there weren't a lot of programs pertaining to food studies or food culture. Uh, so the closest thing that I could get was to study hospitality management, mm-hmm. um, which sort of had this, you know, it's a business degree, but then it focused on food and beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really amazing, a great experience. Um, but when I graduated from college, I was starting to think about, okay, what do I actually want to do with this? I'm still not really any closer to knowing um, what it is that I, I want to do. I found this graduate program at the university that Slow Food founded in Italy. Okay, cool. And, um, and it was, they had just opened. Mm-hmm. So you were kind of a test Yeah, a test subject. Um, And so I participated in the first English-speaking master's program that they did. So it was a master in food culture and communications. Um, So the subject was exactly what I had wished I had been able to find in an (laughs) undergrad. Um, But unknowingly, the experience was... uh, 
really eye-opening for a lot of reasons. So uh, the thing that I didn't realize when I did this program was that there was a vast difference between sort of this new first year Italian university and the way an American university is run. Mm -hmm. So the whole structure and content and cadence um, was totally different than my undergrad experience mm -hmm. in a really incredible way. Um, so it was in Italy and, um, and just sort of the cadence of living there was very different. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about, because right now it's President's Day weekend and we close the brewery on Sunday and we mm -hmm. get a lot of calls from people all day yesterday. Oh, aren't you open? Aren't you open? And, you know, we had to explain, no, we're, we're closed on Sundays. And they're like, but it's a, a holiday weekend. And I, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, it's yeah. a holiday weekend. Um, so I guess you put family in the name, though. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of implied, right? <laughs> it's, that you well, need to spend time with the family. One right? would think so. But, um, but I remember when I lived in Italy, uh, everything in town was shut down on all day Sunday and on like Tuesday afternoon. Um, and it was actually a really freeing thing that any of the places you could go to buy stuff were closed all day Sunday because it was just a given that instead of going and buying things, you were you were doing more leisurely things. You were mm -hmm. going for a walk. You were making dinner at home. You spending were spending time with family. spending time with family. Cooking. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that aspect of the the program was really great. And then also it was just uh, instead of you know having like 15 credits a semester and taking mm -hmm. five classes, it was more like this year long worth of visiting lectures where we mm. had people that were coming from all different areas of the world that were sort of experts in their field and coming to do lectures for like three days or five days. Um, mm -hmm. And then interspersed in that, we had a lot of field trips visiting different food producers. So we studied five different products, wine, cheese, olive oil, cured meat, and pasta. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of used those as a framework for understanding the difference between traditional food products and the stuff that you might find in the grocery store now and how to communicate that difference. And was it, you know, did you try to, did they try to like teach you all the different regionalities to it? Or was it kind of just like they would kind of st stick you in this one place and you really got to know that one town? Or, oh, I mean... Or was it just kind of... You learn so much more about Italy in general. Oh, yeah. And we did, so for each program, they do like a certain amount of, they would call them stages, which are field trips, where we'd, uh, we visited four different regions in Italy, and then, uh, and then each group does three international trips. So we also went to Spain, France, and Germany. Um, and so the international trips each lasted like, if I remember, like 10 days or so. Wow. So you were... And, and when you go there, it was like, I mean, we always used to joke we'd have to make fiber bars for the bus because, <laughs> you know, you're constantly eating all of these, like, incredible rich foods and everyone's constipated by the end of the day, like 14 hours eating every day of, of eating all these things. Yeah, so um, we're like, yeah, what about the vegetable producers? Um, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, we did go see other products as well. Um, and we saw every range of the spectrum like you know for pasta we went to see the traditional 
you know, people producing by hand in Gragnano um, in southern Italy, and then we also went to the Barilla factory in Parma. Um, so you kind of see the spectrum of production. Yeah, they don't pigeonhole you to kind of that local producer necessarily. They kind of show you what the food system is as a whole right now. Yeah, yeah, and sort of understanding the scope of it and also understanding, um, you know, what things are... I don't know. It's like a spectrum of good, right? So mm -hmm. you can't just say that, like, you know, one thing means it's great. For example, you know, we operate this small brewery now, mm -hmm. and that's great. But, um, you know, we, we make beer that we really love and think is of, you know, high quality, and we like sharing it with people, but we self-distribute our beer. So we get a lot of requests from people who, you know, want the beer and we don't self-distribute there. Or they'll even come and pick it up. And, you know, sometimes you just don't have the capacity for that. So on the one hand, it's There's like... give and takes in every single way exactly, that you come about it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but the thing that's been really cool, like you were saying, it's like, oh, I have this very unique perspective because basically, you know, um, we started Good Food Jobs and Good Food Jobs is this online job search engine for people who want to work in food. So I'm constantly interacting with people that want to work in the field. Um, but then also in opening the brewery, I'm finally like, oh man, I understand why this is so hard. You know, like our insurance broker came last week and we're talking about workmen's or workers' compensation rates in New York State. And, you know, for a brewery, it's like for every $100 you pay to an employee, you pay $9.22 in workers' compensation for the year, which is not an insignificant cost. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, these are things that if I was just running the website, you know, you're not necessarily into the nitty gritty of these things. Um, whereas like doing the brewery as well uh, helps give me a different perspective and gives me something tangible. You know, I've really liked the flexibility of having this online business and everything has afforded me in terms of like flexibility of schedule and being able to visit different people and mm -hmm. um but then you know opening the brewery has been eye-opening in so many ways because it's we're working with a tangible product and we have to move things around and you know at the end of the day you're really tired <laughs> and you're kind of more tied to a single place but there are pros and cons to each of them yeah, so you've enjoyed this embracing both sides of kind of that spectrum of, you know, definitely a very labor-intensive job and then one that's definitely kind of like, you know, you're allowed to work from a lot of different places. It's not all in one spot. Yeah. It's like you guys, you know, I feel like one's in the in the cloud and one's right here. Like, it's so true when you visit this space. Like, yeah. it's just... Uh, you know, it's so focused on the location. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it, it would be completely different if you moved it 100 miles in another direction. And yeah. I feel like that's one cool thing that food will always, always provide, I think, is that... Tangible connection. Tangible, cultural, and, and also ingredient connection. I mean, it's... You can't, um, you know, you can't escape the fact that, um, you know, beer needs the water from this area and you need yeah. the ingredients from this area and, and vice versa and kind of all of that. Yeah, for sure. So... Um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> so you went from you left school okay, and yeah. you moved what, to New what York City. Was, why why good food jobs? What kind of sparked that? Was oh. were you looking for an outlet or was you know? Um. So well, basically, I, after I graduated, I looked for jobs for a little while, and I um, I wound up 
at a cheese shop in New York City. Um, and this job that I took there was really amazing. It was a shop where they sold a lot of really incredible products, but they had this classroom that overlooked the shop. And a few nights a week, they would host educational classes for up to 24 people. Um, and uh, You knew a lot about cheese at the time. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I hadn't realized. It's funny because so many people that were drawn to that particular place were there because it was the place to go if you were interested in cheese. Um, whereas I didn't necessarily have an interest in cheese at all. I just happened to have a, a real interest in food culture, and I decided that I really wanted to work at a place that both sold good food and educated people about it because you found a lot of places that were selling good food but it was seen as fancy and sort of not really that democratic mm-hmm. um, and then there were a lot of places that were um, educating people about good food but then people would always make the argument like well but that's too expensive or that's not possible so kind of wanted this um, this sort of intersection of the two of those things because it made it seem like you could um, you know, magnify the impact that you could have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was running the educational programs there, um, and that was really great. And through that process, I was meeting so many people that were interested in food, in particular, a lot of my coworkers, and also a lot of people that would either come to the classes or volunteer at the classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, people just started calling me like, they're like, oh, you're like our unofficial life coach. Um, you know, yeah, you, yeah. like you got to do something with this. And I never really thought anything of it. Um, but when I was making the decision to leave there, I knew that there were a few reasons I wanted to leave. One, I didn't set proper boundaries for myself and it was my first job out of college and I was kind of burning myself out. Mm-hmm. And the second reason was that even though I was really loving the work that I was doing, I realized that I was spending you know, 80 to 90 hours a week in this one physical place and sort of being pigeonholed into this very um, insular industry. Um, And so I said, man, you know, I do love that I was able to learn so much about cheese, but at the same time, I really was interested in a lot of different things and particularly, you know, like you're still ready to learn more. Yeah. And, and cover more, meet new people, right? Yeah, so. exactly. Um, so when I was deciding to leave and kind of figuring out what the next step was, um, you know, a friend from college and I were on a road trip and she was also kind of looking for the next thing. And we had come up with a few other ideas, none of which really panned out. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And then finally I was like, you know, I tell everyone, you know, we really need this resource for people who are looking for jobs and food because everyone I knew would do the same thing. It's like you go to Craigslist, you type in food, you go to Media Bistro, you type in food, you go to fill in the blank specialized shop site and you type in food. And all the time it um, would send back results that weren't, you know, these types of jobs that we wanted that Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily... Um, you know, think about sustainability first. Um, And so we just decided, oh, you know, this is something that we might be able to do. Of course, like not knowing anything about building a website whatsoever. (laughs) Um, But we're just like, yeah, why not? Just go for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of blind optimism. (laughs) Well, I feel like I know so many people these days who are young coming out of college and want to find something that they can attach to and 
generally it's it's now like I just got to start my own thing. I've got to just go out and go for it. Mm-hmm. And um, but now an outlet like what you what you made with Good Food Jobs, I feel like is already helping so many young people. I mean, um, I've, I've utilized it and I've seen it work, you know, and yes. and and. I've used it to find, you know, interesting things that, that I might be looking to go pursue. And, um, I don't know, it's just a cool, I, I think it's fun to see kind of like, you know, I feel like we're always building on generations and, and people learn to, and then they do something and then people build on that. And now, you know, you're helping other people find their dream and kind of figure out how they can help change the world. And it's, I think it's definitely a dynamic space for a lot of people to get together. Yeah. Just kind of what your goal is, right? To it's, meet new people, educate people. And, yeah, and kind of create a community. Because um, I remember when I graduated college um, pretty distinctly, you know, I had a really good friend um, who said she ran into, like, another childhood friend. And the guy was like, do you believe, like, what's Taylor doing? She was the smartest one out of all of us, and she's working in a grocery store. You know, like, what's that all about? Um, And it's just, like, people didn't, they didn't get it, and they also just didn't value it. And You know, I came from a place where it's, like, everyone was like, oh, I want to work on Wall Street or, you know, like, sell insurance or, you know, do things that seemed, like, somehow more professional or legitimate um and uh and i think that you know one of the best compliments we ever get from people who use the site are thank you so much it was really helpful to have this to show to my parents or my significant other or my you know my friends so that they could see the types of opportunities that i was interested and they could see what sort of impact it was having and it sort of made them feel like um, there was like proper care and attention toward the field. Yeah, and like a legitimacy and a community that's already, a whole community that's embraced the idea. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Gives you, you know, a lot of, you're not the only one. You're not, the, you're not crazy, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly. So, and then all of a sudden, a brewery now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't feel quite all of a sudden. Dan and I were just reminiscing that uh, without much fanfare, the 10-year anniversary of us meeting sort of came and went. Um, and we met working at the cheese shop. And uh, and it wasn't too long after we met that he started really taking a liking to beer and mostly tasting a lot of beer and homebrewing a lot of beer. And over the course of like a year and a half, started to get his first internships and part-time jobs in mm. the brewing world so it it yeah it doesn't seem quite so all of a sudden yeah yeah <laughs> well was actually was, seeing him go through that was that mm-hmm. something that you learned and, and kind of put towards the website like seeing oh. how hard that was to get because i i mean yes. i've seen oh how God. hard it is for some people to get a job how do you how did you know that i remember <laughs> it was so ridiculous because i remember we worked together and then he left and he was sort of going on this adventure with brewing and it was hard for him. I remember him saying, you know, we live in New York City. There are like eight or nine million people that live here. And at the time there were only four breweries. He's like, I'm never going to be able to get a job. Think about how many people want to brew. And I'm like, just keep, just keep home brewing. Just keep showing up. Just keep knocking on the door. Just keep helping them. You know, like scrub the floor, wash kegs, mm-hmm. go like do 
batches on the pilot system if they'll let you. You know, like, just go keep doing all of these things. And eventually, someone will pay attention <laughs> to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was fortunate enough to be able to do that. You know, like, I remember he would work one night a week at Beer Table mm-hmm. in Park Slope, um, the location that's now closed down. And in that one night, he worked Friday nights. And then that one night, he would basically make like three times as much as he would make the rest of the week working. Um, And that was really lucky for him that he was able to do that, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And but I feel like it also, you know, on the one hand, I feel sad that he couldn't find a full time brewing gig. Uh, quicker because in the moment he was really tortured about it but in hindsight it was really amazing because he was getting this incredible education you know like interning at different places and working part time and having time to be able to go visit other breweries and so he sort of like I don't know kind of pieced together this crazy education um, just because he was had that forced flexibility yeah well and then um yeah, I mean, it just, I, I know how many people struggle with that. You know, it's it's a struggle to, sometimes it's a struggle because you want to balance out, I want to chase my passion. Um, I have a short life, I want to live that, but then also need to make enough money to survive. Yeah. And it's such a challenge. It um, is, especially in, you know, urban environments or anywhere. I shouldn't say, especially in urban environments, anywhere. It's hard to do that. And the reality is for a lot of people, you know, if you graduated with a college degree, a lot of times that comes with student loans. And, you know, like we were definitely both lucky enough to be in a position that that wasn't the case. And it definitely afforded us a lot of flexibility. So, I mean, in talking a lot about the issues of good food jobs and the types of things we're thinking about these days, it's like, okay, we created this resource that is good for a specific subset of people. And how can we sort of broaden it in ways that makes the reality of working in food possible for more people mm-hmm. um and that's still not something we've completely figured out <laughs> i think it'll take a long time but also i mean the first part for us was just tackling the legitimacy part because um, i think that in a lot of ways um you know a huge hurdle for a lot of people was just being able to say like I'm working in food mm-hmm. you know and that not being frowned upon or I'm working in service and mm-hmm. that not being frowned upon because that's a really big one for sure yeah and I feel like there's still definitely a you know a feeling around the world that oh you 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 work at the head of you know the front house of a restaurant and that's is that all you're trying to do and, and some people that is you know they want to keep building that passion and, and learn more about that in that you know, specific way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting to me. And this was part of the beauty of ending up going to school for hospitality management. Um, I remember that there was always a quote from the guy that the building was named after, Statler, and uh, it was something like, um, life is service, and the one who succeeds is the one who gives more and better service Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something I always took with me and especially in creating good food jobs where it's like well what is it that you do and I'm like actually we provide a service and that is that is something that really is important to me because um, the idea that service is looked down upon is something that's really sad to me because Mm -hmm. it's something that I really value uh, both like being 
someone who serves well and also someone who is very gracious being served. Um, did you feel like that was service was appreciated in Italy more than the United States? Like, would oh. you would you say that there's a there's still a difference on, on those sides of the spectrum? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, even just the standard examples where they talk a lot about, you know, um, like service in restaurants, how that's a career, not mm-hmm. just something you do while you're waiting to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that that's valued in, mm-hmm. in certain ways more and are you has it been fun to you know i almost think that uh in a way you know wine and cheese is how i think of italy a lot of people talk about it that's a huge part of the culture is beer becoming a part of american culture more and more is that kind of something fun that you're able to see kind of a relationship there yeah i mean it's really interesting dorothy who's my business partner with good food jobs and i were just talking the other day and um and I was just telling her that the tasting room's been getting really busy. We've been fortunate enough to get a lot of really great press recently. And uh, she's like, isn't it funny? It's like, still, you know, however many years later, we can't really seem to get press for good food jobs, you know? I mean, not that we're trying, but it's just interesting that there's, it's like beer, for some reason, People just automatically, they're like, beer, oh my God, it's amazing, it's a brewery. And I'm like, there are whatever, however many thousand, there are 6,500 new breweries that just opened in the world this year. And I'm like, is it really still news? You know, and I'm like, at the end of the day, it's just beer. You know, and Dan always has this uh, like constant conversation with me and Matt where we roll our eyes and He's like, do you believe? He's like, it's weird. You know, really, we're just modifying water. And then people come and they give us paper. And then they, like, put this water in their mouths. And then eventually (laughs) it comes out of them. And, like, that's all it is. And there's this frenzy about it. I was like, yeah, that is really, really strange. <laughs> I feel like that that goes right to the point, though. That goes that, like, you know, I think food can bring people together. It is a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. More than, you know, I mean, obviously we need to survive. Mm-hmm. Obviously it tastes very good. But, I mean, what I've been trying to approach food in general for this website is that I feel like it can bring people together. Yeah. It can make people make sustainable choices more yeah, and more because sure. I think food is something that is going into their body and it affects them on a daily basis. Um, do you see, do you feel like there's a, you know, a good promise in, in a lot of young people joining the workforce and thinking about food sustainably? Do you think that you feel confident about the future of our young, you know, food entrepreneurs that are starting up or? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I certainly hope so. And the, the drum that I beat all the time is I really just wish that every single person would spend at least one season farming Mm -hmm. because you know i mean like instead of a a mandatory military service you know if people spent one season on a farm i think that they'd have a much better frame of reference and appreciation and understanding of food and where it comes from and also just this idea like to me i don't know i feel so our society right now especially right now, <laughs> is based on this idea of like more, bigger, better, consume, consume, consume. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I, 
I think that the way of the future is more like simplify, mm-hmm. um, you know, how can we minimize, how can we conserve? And I think that having uh, the experience of working on a farm would just be great for people. To, like, I think it would change the way they make decisions on a daily basis for the rest of their lives. Um, and I think that is just what's needed. Just the same way that I said, you know, n- uh-huh. now that I know <laughs> that the toilet overflows, if you flush stupid stuff down the toilet, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not going to ever put a paper towel down the toilet. Not mm-hmm. that I did that before, but if you knew, if you were the one that had to mop up the floor mm-hmm. afterwards, then you would not put that paper towel down the toilet. If you had to grow a tomato, it would change the way you think about putting a tomato on a sandwich. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, or you would maybe like compost it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Or if you had to slaughter a chicken, then maybe you wouldn't just buy the rotisserie chicken at the store. Maybe you'd get it at the farm down the road and maybe you'd ask for the chicken feet and the innards and then you'd make a stock mm-hmm. and gravy and you'd use every single last bit of that instead of just sort of being wasteful with it. Um, All of those types of things I think are helpful because it just provides some insight um, Mm -hmm. for folks. When you were a child, did you get a lot of access to like, you know, were your parents very into food? Um, were they into farming? Like, like what kind of got Definitely you? Definitely not farming. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the thing that I do really recognize and appreciate is that, um, you know, my mom is a caterer by trade, um, but she does a very specialist kind of catering. Um, mm-hmm. So backstage catering for the band and crews at concerts at small venues around where cool, we live cool. in New Jersey. Um, so part of her job was just plain old gophering. Like, we want six cases of this kind of sparkling water put in our dressing room. We would need this, this, and that. Like, you know. And then the other part was, you know, making a warm meal for people when they're pretty much living their lives in transit. Mm-hmm. And she takes great pride in the fact that, you know, a lot of the people especially on the cruise that come through will say oh my god this is the best meal we've had since we've been on the road um and i think that's really nice and really special so i remember hearing that a lot um and even though she was not the type of person she did not love everyday cooking Mm -hmm. like there was definitely a lot of like rice aroni and shake and bake pork chops or Mm -hmm. like the caesar salad kit she did not like the act of like having to monotonously feed us every single night but she Mm -hmm. loved special occasion cooking Mm -hmm. so i feel like every holiday or if there was like a special dinner party you know it was always like from scratch and she was doing it all Mm -hmm. you know and um and that I can really appreciate and remember and um and I think it definitely did have an impact because you know I felt those things yeah and they were awesome I definitely feel the same way like you know I I look forward to Thanksgiving because I feel like it's my mom putting on a show you know and it, it really is truly like her showcasing who she is yeah um in a in a way you know and and those those things definitely have an impact and I don't think 
I mean, I don't personally notice it until later on in life when I'm like, wow, now that I'm making it on my own, yeah. <laughs> I really do appreciate how much work she puts in. Or, yeah. you know, you, you learn a lot more about the process of all those things. And yeah. it, it makes you appreciate everything a lot more. For sure. It's, it's, it's a yeah. fun thing. <laughs> um, so now, you know, I'm drinking... Uh, country beer crispy oh. little beers but those are kind of the words you've been using to describe your beers correct oh yeah, kind of yeah. like um I, f- I like the language that you guys are using with your beer it's it's unique but also very you know explanatory of what you guys are trying to do mm-hmm. um, with this space do you want to like talk a little bit more about what you guys are trying to do with making country beer and Sure. Crispy little beers, like what? <laughs> sure. So um, we make three main styles of beer here. Mm-hmm. So it's unfiltered lagers, uh, crispy little beers, we mm-hmm. call them, which are oh, essentially low alcohol hopped pale ales, and uh, and country beers. And mm-hmm. country beers are just a term that. Dan took a long time to come up with. Um, but basically, he loves Saison-style things. Mm-hmm. But he said when he went to Belgium, um, even like certain places in Belgium, they had such a reverence for the term Saison, kind of like the same way in the United States, mm-hmm. you wouldn't make a sparkling wine and call it champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though Saison is not necessarily like a... a a term of protected origin, you know, in deference to the people that that make that and the origin of where that came from, he was like, I, I don't want to use that that term. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought long and hard, what could be, you know, and it's like farmhouse beer, you hear that a lot, um, but I don't know, country beer just seemed more democratic in a way and more simple (laughs) simple yeah and definitely more simple than you know mixed fermentation which is like you know got the industry buzz these days um so yeah it was just you know kind of came around to that these things they take a long time to think (laughs) yeah Yeah. it was probably something that you guys have been thinking about for 10 years yeah (laughs) it's like so crazy sometimes how long certain things take like naming the beers that is a torturous process especially Mm -hmm. with dan um but yeah uh the the whole point of all the beers that we make um they're all pretty low in alcohol they're all we, we strive for them to be super balanced and feel really good on the palate. Um, and the idea is that you can enjoy a few of them. Um, and so it's interesting because I feel like we're getting a lot of buzz in the industry, mainly from people who work in the industry. So brewers, bar owners, beverage managers. And it's because the industry is super saturated with a really large amount of very bombastic beers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, double IPAs, bourbon barrel aged stout sours. Um, it's all about this like intensity of flavor. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I feel like dance all about like subtlety and simplicity and Sometimes we'll get people in here who are like, I don't understand what all the buzz is about. The beers are okay, but they're really not that great. And then other people come in who are like, please keep doing what you are doing because Mm -hmm. 
maybe not everyone can recognize it, but this is really truly special and um, and what you're able to achieve is pretty amazing. Um, even if it's not bash you over the head, it's like the the fact that you're able to produce something um, that is so simple but still has such a point of view is really incredible. I feel like it, it challenges people to kind of like discover it. I don't know. I feel like um, the you know we're drinking the the, the bone shirt, the bone black shirt. lager. And I feel like each time I go back, I'm learning something new. You know, it's something, you know, I'm, I'm catching something different. You know, yeah. um, and that's that's something that I feel like has resonated in, in all the beers that I've tried from you guys, and um, it's definitely it's definitely appreciated. <laughs> uh, I don't like being served something where I just I clearly know what the beer is all about yeah. right when I've had it. You know, yeah. I, I want to come back for more and more because I'm discovering more and more. So yeah, yeah, and I think that you find like even you know, with the beers, like if you drink a double IPA, the first sip you taste is mind blowing. And then you get to the bottom of a glass and you're like, I cannot possibly drink one more ounce of this. Mm -hmm. And Dan's barometer is always, when I get to the bottom of the glass, I want to always say, wow, I'd love to have another one of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and then another thing I think that's really, been interesting for us um, is you know we operate this tasting room and in the tasting room we have our beers available to go but then we have um, you know beer for here and we only serve the beer in one size glass it's a quarter liter glass um, so it's between eight and nine ounces mm -hmm. and uh, and people are constantly coming in and they're like do you do tasters or flights and you know we we have to have this conversation like at least a hundred times a day. We say no, sorry, we don't we don't serve those. Um, we just have the one pour, mm -hmm. and it's designed so that you can sit down with them one at a time, but still have a few of them in a row. Um, and that's really important to us because you know you have a taster or a flight, and you know you've got four beers sitting in front mm -hmm. of you. You've got just a small amount of them, so you can't really get the full feeling for the beer. You know, they're constantly losing head and carbonation and getting warm by the time you get, and you're mm -hmm. going back and forth and back and forth, not sort of enjoying them in a style that won't hurt your palate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like, I feel like when we said we weren't gonna do this, you know, our friends that have a brewery down the road were like, you can't not have tasters. Like, you gotta have tasters. And we're like, well, we're just not gonna do it, you know? Mm -hmm. We know it might not make us popular and it might not make us a lot of money, but this is important. Like, mm -hmm. this is something. And I think it totally also changes the vibe when people are here because you start to sit here and see people, you know, have a conversation. It's like they can appreciate and enjoy the beer, but they're also enjoying each other mm -hmm. and I think that's really you know part of the charm it seems like just from the conversation we've been having that you wanted to pull some of those things that you learned from you know Italy and, and bring them and embrace them here and oh for sure um, and you know try to change the culture a little bit around what beer has become and I mean yeah. I think that's a really innovative and you're going for it and it's exciting <laughs> and I imagine you know you're you're just saying how having not serving beer yesterday was a crazy thing to some people but you know Great. Sundays should be for family and and we've got 
We've got Enzo, Enzo just here, woke up here, waking up and joining the podcast. <laughs> this is clearly a family affair. He's always around. Oh yeah, you got to see grandma and grandpa before, and they were here all weekend helping us as well. Dan's dad must have hand washed about 600 glasses on Saturday, and mm-hmm. um, and his mom was watching Enzo while I worked the bar. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been really cool to have that that part of it too you know and so working the bottling line with us and um yeah I know you know when you showed up today and you're like so we were emailing back and forth and I had that cringe on my face like "Ooh, email I'm so behind on my emails (laughs) right now you know um but but it's also I mean this is just the reality of Uh what we're doing Uh it's a little chaotic and and you know, it, it's hard to get everything done in the way we're, we're usually accustomed to getting everything done. But mm-hmm. I think it's also been a valuable lesson in just sort of recognizing your limits and accepting them and not saying, you know, not saying, okay, like I'm not saying I don't want to get better and I continue to get better at things. Um, but also just saying, you know what, like we don't have to kill ourselves. like. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to just produce more beer for the sake of producing more beer. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have to sign with a distributor just to get more beer out there. Like, mm-hmm. let's just take our time, be thoughtful. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And what is like, you know, is there, what is the biggest lesson you've learned so far as, you know, being a new brewery owner and, and then also having the website? I mean, what is. In the last ten years, ship is so important. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with with good food jobs, all of the credit these days goes to Dorothy, who is my partner in that. And it's been really amazing. Um, pretty much like a month before we launched the site, she found out she was having a baby. And I remember her always. I don't know whether I would say she felt guilty, but there was definitely this like palpable feeling that she she felt badly that she thought I was doing more work than her and we've always had this working relationship where you know I had to convince her but I think I finally did especially now that don't worry like you know partnership is not based on like counting who does what or keeping Uh tabs it's like let's just understand that we're here to support each other and that at the end of the day, I'm sure it will all even out. Mm-hmm. Um, so fortunately, the day after Enzo was born, her daughter started kindergarten. And it's been great because she's been there, you know, in a more full-time capacity, sort mm-hmm. of getting so much stuff done. And I've really had my hands full with Enzo and with the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like the same is true for the brewery. It's like... Mm-hmm. I definitely would not be able to do this without Dan. He's mm-hmm. like the real lifeblood of this operation. And, you know, his talent is what makes this operation possible and his care and attention and, you know, how much he genuinely, like, just puts into the process. But I think that he wouldn't be able to do it without, <laughs> without me here either. Because, yeah. number one, he just wouldn't do it he'd be like no why why would i do that that seems like too too like all this stuff that i don't really want to have to deal with Mm -hmm. um but also yeah just you know it's nice that we can bounce ideas off each other and trust each other um and 
sometimes reprimand each other for things that one or the other isn't doing or doing right. Um, but yeah, I think that that has been a real, a real valuable lesson um, for me, just in life. You mm -hmm. know, lean on those who, who will also you know help you out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and then the other thing is, um, yeah, like Dan and I have this conversation all the time where we're like, oh, like, is it irresponsible of us to not just, you know, like, like we could just open an IPA factory and can it and sell out all the time and mm -hmm. probably like mint money from that. Um, you know, and it's like, is it irresponsible not to do that? And then we're like, no, you know, I, especially I'm always explaining to him, I'm like, it would be irresponsible of you not to do what you're doing right now, because I think he's pretty uniquely positioned to be able to do all this stuff. Like the fact that, you know, the rate beer awards just came out and, um, and the brewery got, I mean, so silly voted the 10th best new brewery in the world and which sounds really silly but out of 6500 breweries i guess that's a thing mm -hmm. um it's definitely a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and like the crazy part about it is we did it we've only been open for six months none of our country beers had come out at that point and that's like a huge portion of you know what will also make us pretty notable so he pretty much accomplished this making unfiltered lagers and pale ales, mm -hmm. which are not very popular styles, mm -hmm. um, you know? Uh, and so I think that because of, you know, his, his work experience before and because a lot of people in the industry knew him and because a lot of people were excited for the brewery to open, he was kind of uniquely positioned to create these less popular styles because people still afforded him credibility mm -hmm. um, in a way that if someone was just like randomly opened, you know, they might not get as much fanfare quite as quickly. Um, and I think that it's, it's making a difference, you know, like a few weeks ago, um, someone sent us an article from Brooklyn Magazine and they had interviewed like over 30 different beer professionals mm -hmm. all around Brooklyn, and they asked them what's the best uh, beer of 2016, and uh, Palatine Pills got voted the number one beer. And that is insane. It's a <laughs> Pilsner. It's like a style that people don't usually appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, and we've definitely had a hard time with bars who you know, we sell all of our beer for the same price, like wholesale, you know, it's, mm -hmm. whether it's 20 liter keg or 50 liter keg, you know, um, you know, we have one price for the 20 liters, one price for the 50 liters, whether it's a hoppy pale ale or an unfiltered lager. Mm -hmm. And people have no, they're like, oh God, your pale ales are such a good price. And they're like, ooh, I'm not sure we can pay that much for a Pilsner. And Whoa. I'm like, well, first of all, the Pilsner takes twice as long in the mm -hmm. tank and, you know, it takes more temperature control, which ends up costing more money. And, you know, it's like a more refined beer, so it's harder, you know, to hide any flaws at all. Like, it's a harder beer to make. Mm -hmm. It takes longer and it takes more resources and more knowledge, yet you're saying you can't 
you can't pay that much. And it's mm -hmm. mostly because, you know, people are used to using their logger line. It's like, oh, this is the one that's going to make us money mm -hmm. just because we're going to buy something cheap and then it'll fly out the door. Um, and so to have people really like stopping to appreciate the pills and the loggers is something that's really Well, even, yeah, even incredible. pricing them the same, it was already trying to change the culture again. It's, it's, it's reemphasizing kind of embracing a, a new cultural way to think about it. Yeah. Um, it's forcing people to think about it in a completely different way, which yeah. I think is exciting. Yeah. Um, so what does the future hold for you guys? What's next? Just plugging away? <laughs> Keep going? Well, Dan made the mistake of um, when the good beer hunting guys were here, he talked about how he'd love to have a taqueria here. <laughs> so now <laughs> so that's everyone's like, so can't wait for the tacos. So I was like, why did you have to do that? Um, what's next? Well, summertime is approaching, so we'll definitely have to get through that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me personally, um, you know, I want to make sure that at the very least I'm growing something outside and we mm -hmm. spent the past yeah. <laughs> two years kind of, uh, you know, rehabilitating this building and the property and, um, before construction comes destruction. <laughs> so, um, so next step will be to grow yeah, the so, ground up. Yeah, and I really, that's really important to me. It's just because we only have a little under two acres here, and a lot of it is building or parking. But mm -hmm. um, to whatever extent I can, I want to create sort of a more vibrant uh -huh. living environment outside. Um, Grow some peppers for some hot sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told Dan this year, I was like, okay, I, you know, I put a garden in last year, but I was, you know, like uber pregnant. We were opening the brewery and, and it kind of fell by the wayside and I tried to bite off more than I could chew, as is always the case. Um, so I said, this year I'm only growing tomatoes. I said, I might grow like 20 different kinds of tomatoes, but I'm just going to focus on one thing so that I can start all my starts at the same time, you know, and simplify things and kind of, you know, prepare the beds in all the same way. And, mm -hmm. and, and really learn from all of that. Yeah. And then hopefully maybe save, save some seeds because I would really love to do that this year. Um, I've like attempted to in the past, but always, you know, accidentally thrown them out or they don't dry properly or whatever. So, mm -hmm. so that's really important for me. Um, uh, and yeah, and in terms of the, the brewery, I think, you know, it'll be our first real summer open. Like we were open last year, but... You know, we still don't have our website up. And last year we didn't have a sign until August. And mm. we didn't even put a light on the sign until January. And now so, everyone knows that you're out there. And now people know that we're out there. So I think it's going to be a challenge this summer, kind of managing the process. And after this weekend, I mean, this weekend was a holiday weekend. Um, it was really busy in the tasting room. Not on Friday and not on Wednesday. I mean, they were busy, but not mm -hmm. like crazy. Saturday was crazy and the thing it was really awesome like I love the I love the feeling of like okay okay we're like really hustling and getting work done and that's great um but I did notice a few times where I was having to like rush through the service interaction mm -hmm. which um, is something that you want to embrace yeah and that kind of yeah pains me a little bit so um 
trying to figure out how to manage the the enthusiasm of the people coming out um, will be a challenge for this summer. So if we can figure out a way to do it and provide a place where people can come and like hang and interact mm -hmm. while appreciating the beer will be a good thing. Well, thank you for, for giving me all this time. And <laughs> I'm really looking forward to visiting this summer and maybe eventually having tacos the next time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and thank you, Enzo, for the uh, drum solo. Oh, um, yeah. The singing we've got going. It's becoming a lot more vocal these days. But, uh, yeah, thank you for letting me stop by oh, and meet your whole family. stopping so. out. And hopefully you'll come back again. Yeah. Well, cheers. Thanks. Livingston, New York, and the area around Hudson, New York, was an incredibly beautiful and close-knit community that I truly fell in love with. I cannot wait for my next visit to Hudson, New York. I hope you learned as much as I did about how people can make food a part of their lives rather than just a necessity. We recently dropped a profile on Chef Jeff Brown of JB's Jamaica Me Crazy as part of a new series called Roots to the Table. It is an interesting look into how people take childhood memories and turn them passionate careers. Thanks for tuning in. Our lead editor is Rebecca Shenton, and our music was created by Ben Wank of Three Springs Fruit Farm. Until next time, this is Zach Kaiser, signing off.